0: Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Amen. Word of God for our special meditation this Good Friday evening is found in Luke 23, verses 32 to 34. Two other men who were criminals were led away with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. They cast lots to divide his garments among them. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Tonight you have already heard the entire Passion history according to St. John. You have heard a description of the Messiah's suffering spoken prophetically through the prophet Isaiah and a first-person account of the same in Psalm 22. You have sung hymns that have impressed on generations of Christians the depths of pain, torment, and abandonment that Jesus experienced on that Friday almost 2,000 years ago. Do we need to describe all those things again? For now, let us focus only on one phrase and one fact from the three verses we just read from Luke. In the middle of verse 33, it is stated plainly and directly, without any attempt to lessen its impact, they crucified Him. Perhaps, though, this is a fact that we have heard so many times that it doesn't make the impact that it should. Maybe it's something that we know so well that it affects us about the same as someone saying something like, oh, I don't know, James Madison was the fourth president of the United States. Of course, there is no requirement for faith or salvation that that we feel anything in particular when we hear They crucified Jesus. But if we don't feel anything, it might be a good time to take a moment and consider why. Is it because I've become so absorbed into myself that someone else's sufferings mean nothing to me? Is it because I've become so comfortable with my sins or even so convinced that I'm not a sinner? that what Christ is suffering seems to have nothing to do with me? Is it because I see Jesus as only some unfortunate figure from the past whose death was merely another example of historical injustice? Is it because I just want to skip to the good parts of the gospel where Jesus tells me he loves me and I'm going to heaven and I, I don't want to engage with or try to understand the parts that tell me what that love required of him and how much that ticket to paradise cost him. So think about it. They crucified him there with the criminals. They Does it refer to the Roman soldiers or to the leaders of the Jews who had engineered his execution? Yes. The chief priests and elders of the people made it happen and the soldiers did the crucifying. They took the bloodied body of the one born king of the Jews and stretched it out on a crude wooden cross. Though he was probably too weak already to resist, and was resigned to what was happening. They likely still tied his arms and legs to the the cross to keep them still. Then we can picture one soldier holding the limb, another holding the nail, and another swinging the hammer. It would have been important to... Pierce through the flesh to the wood with the first strike to to keep the involuntary wriggling to a minimum, but it probably took a few more bone shivering blows to sink the spike deep enough into the cross that it could not be pulled out either by weight or by struggle, and so Jesus was pierced, his hands. His feet. And when that was done, what likely took only a few minutes but felt like hours, when that was done, they lifted up the Christ-bearing cross and set it up upright. We can imagine the jolt as it dropped into its hole and how that would have torn at His flesh. They crucified our Lord with the criminals. Oh yeah, they were there too, suffering themselves from the same cruel mode of killing. But they at least were actually guilty of crimes that called for punishment. Jesus was perfectly innocent, but he was counted with the sinners. Counted as a sinner. And counted as all sinners. Because he was suffering not just the physical pains of crucifixion, but also the spiritual agonies justly do every offense against the Almighty's divine majesty and perfect will. He was going through hell. Not in the sense that he was having a hard time, but in that he was literally and personally, physically and spiritually experiencing all the torment assigned by right to every sinner for their every sin. And yet, miraculously, still, the suffering Son of God, while enduring his father's forsaking him, called on that father to forgive Forgive not any sins of his own, because he had none, but to forgive the sins of those whose hands tied the knots, swung the hammer, and lifted him up. Why? Because they did not understand that they were crucifying their Savior, their Lord, the Son of God, the King of creation. But even more, He asked for their forgiveness because he loved them. And he did not want them to suffer for their sins, which was the very reason that he himself was suffering on his cross. Despite his nakedness, despite his bloodied face and body, despite his rejection by the very people he came to serve, despite how difficult it was to speak. Jesus was stood up on that hill as their and our and all the world's great high priest, offering Himself as the once-for-all sacrifice that would take away the guilt and stain and punishment of sin. Our Good Shepherd is also the Lamb of God who was slain so that His blood could wash away all of our pride. Wash away our insistence on our own way instead of God's. Wash away our resentments and rebellions against His will. Wash away our laziness, our dishonesty, our insults, abuse, and ignoring of other people. Wash away our narcissistic focus on our own selves and desires, our ethical shortcuts, our outright crimes. And wash away our treating of that which belongs only in marriage as a cheap personal plaything. They crucified. That is what this means. That is why his hands were pierced by nails. This is what makes Jesus the baby born in Bethlehem, Jesus the carpenter from Nazareth, Jesus the teacher, the miracle worker, the disciple maker, what makes Him our Savior. If He had not gone to the cross, no one's sins would be forgiven. None of us would be headed for heaven. Death would still rightly terrify us, and Satan would still have his hold on us. But Jesus did. And as our priest, He stretched out His arms and blessed us by letting those precious hands be pierced so that by His wounds, we might be healed of all the corruption that comes with sin. So trust it. Trust Him. Trust what He finished for you on that cross at that place called the skull. He suffered and died to take away your sins and so they are forgiven. He died a sinner's death and suffered a sinner's deepest punishment so that you would not have to. And as we will celebrate on Sunday morning, Jesus also rose from the dead so that you have eternal life, here as your prized possession, and in heaven as your your joy-filled and glorious inheritance. Christ wants you to see the evidence of this to remind you of what He did so that there is never any doubt of your salvation. Every sin was paid for. Every pain was endured. Even death and the grave were allowed to take Him. And so He says, Look and see. See the marks that show me to be your Savior. This is what He did when He appeared to the disciples on Easter evening. He showed them the scars, His nail-pierced hands. And, And even the Lamb that we see sitting on Heaven's throne in the book of Revelation is visible and identified as the One who was slain. Throughout this Lenten season, we have focused on the hands of the Passion. Most of the time we have focused on the hands of people around Jesus, both friends and foes, and some who are kind of in between. But the hands that we look at tonight are the hands that matter most, not just because they belong to Jesus, but because these are the hands that show the depth of his love for sinners and the hands that show the fact that He suffered crucifixion and death to take away your sins and my sins and to give us His own perfection as our own. He not only satisfied God's wrath against our rebellion, but also gave us the righteousness God requires for eternal life in heaven. So, if you are ever tempted to doubt that God loves you, or that He will let you into paradise. If ever you wonder whether you really could be worth anything to Jesus, if you ever start thinking that your problems and your brokenness are, are of no consequence to the one seated on heaven's throne, or, for that matter, if you ever begin to think that, well, God should let you into heaven because you're such a good person, And do not look at or inside yourself for assurance. Don't point an accusing finger at the Lord and say, You don't care! Don't spread your arms open wide and say, Hey, look at all these great things that I've done. God's got to like me for all this. Don't look in the mirror either and point and say, What a miserable wretch. No one could ever love a good-for-nothing sinner like me. Instead, ask for a show of hands. Not from other people to, to vote on your worthiness. Ask for a show of Christ's hands. He will tell you everything you need to know. He will tell you of his love for you and the value he placed on you, of what he was willing to do and endure for you, what that love cost him. You find what you ask for in the Scriptures, in the Good Friday Gospel. They are all the evidence and the assurance that you will ever need. Trust them. See them. Hold them in your heart, in your mind, in faith, for good and forever. Hold them as they hold you. His nail-pierced hands. Amen. Please rise. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.